Welcome to the Filter Free Podcast. I am your host, TJ Stevens. Step in. Joining me as always, he loves the wintertime, Dalla Bill Dave. <clears throat> I hate being cold. And speaking of cold, he's ice cold. Timmy C. Vanilla ice cold. Go ninja, go ninja, go. I was say, was, go. That, was that a positive? Go ninja, go. <laughs> Dave doing the actual thing. Poison knows really. that dance by heart for me. Hey, I, 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 Ninja Turtles with real people. Like, we've seen him do it several <laughs> times. You're muted, Demi. With real people part two. <laughs> got two real people in it. There's a new Ninja Turtles movie coming out. I saw with real people? No, but it looks no. really good. No, not, not if it's real is, people. It's blackmail, though. So okay. that's new. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. It's Casey yeah. Jones driving a train. On April O'Neil. With four turtles. Whoa. And a, and a rat. Well, April O'Neil's like a kid now. She's oh, not a... Wow, this took a savage turn. Yeah, there goes the rest of my <laughs> joke I was getting ready to <laughs> Please remember to subscribe and ignore that first part of the show. <laughs> uh, and rate the show wherever you get your podcast. Leave us reviews. Those are important. And hey, while you're at it, follow the show on Twitter at FFPopCast. On Instagram at Filter Free Podcast, and follow the network at Filter Free Net. Timmy, www.patreon.com forward slash Filter Free. That's where you become a dummy head for $10 hairs. What do they get for their money? You will get our Patreon-exclusive shows. First and foremost, Legends, let's rethink this. Big news coming on that front here just in a bit. And a few different angles, big news on... There's a lot of shit going on with Kurt Legends. Angle for a, for a show we barely do. It's about to get upgraded a lot. <laughs> Did we still Kurt Angle from Conrad? Is that what happened? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Big angles coming. We're Karen the TNA. We got Karen Angle. That, her oh. name's not Angle anymore. It's Jared. Oh, then we got bamboozled because I hired it, Karen Angle. We got bamboozled. It's the best angle <laughs> Jeff Jarrett was ever in. Yeah. So what uh, he said. That took me way too long. Making its return in the fall. Footballers getting paid with Tim and Dave. Wrestling rewrite. Did you guys ever do anything else? We did. We did it uh, two, uh, as this airs. It's been two weekends ago. Look at that. They're in May of 2005 now. July. July. Oh. Low key. Now his champion. Nope. Still Samoa Joe. Oh. Right who's back in inter- low key. Who's, who's your intercontinental champion? DNA didn't have an intercontinental champion. Well, if they did, who would it be? Uh, my X division champion is Adam Copeland. You know him as Edge. I just signed him. Adam Copeland, baby. Yeah. Uh, My tag team champions, for some reason, are AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy. I didn't do that. (laughs) Good job, you. Yeah. You will also get our new hot show, Evolution of Evil, with the fun director, Step Hens. No, no, you're not the fun director. No, I'm not. Fun director and Step Hens. There you go. I got to put my show mouth on tonight. Mm. I'm definitely not. <laughs> so what's what's fun about that show is it's it's been slowly gaining momentum, but uh, the last let's see the last three shows we've done it'll be you know four after this airs. But uh, he did uh, the Murdaugh case, which is all the all the what's the word I'm looking for? All the kids are talking about it right now. It's all the rage. Him on, I loved rage. him on the A team. Face, Mo Murdoch. Oh, not no, Mister mm. T. Not, not, not him. Uh, 
And then I, I did uh, Dr. Donald Klein, which Timmy made the mistake of saying he's just like him, and he shouldn't say that. I did not say I was just like him. I, did a lot of I, I said I said we had a lot of Indiana Hoovers in common. And then the next one, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Justin did the killer nurse, Charles Cullen, who's killed over 400 people. Well, he's Alleg- an asshole. Allegedly. Is that Edge's Colin. brother? No. Charles Copeland? Colin. C-U-L-L-E-N. But now we're, we're having, we're having members of law enforcement reach out to us telling us they want to be on the show. Barney Fife. Which is awesome. I did not see that coming. And Amy's probably going to be on our show. I saw Amy today in person. Amy's live awesome. and in living color. Amy's great. She was mad at me. Why? Work stuff. Didn't have her phone on her. And what did you like? Throw a cheeseburger at her? So much audio to cut. <laughs> you haven't said that in forever. <laughs> the ketchup was all sticky. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that one, Amy. In the in the packet. <laughs> oh no. And you will have maybe at some point some bus rides and events and sweet lives and. Something in the Midwest. That's all we're waiting on. You know what, what's great is um, we have so much big news coming up, and we're just going to tease it. You'll have to wait and see. A goo. A goo goo. Uh, but it's going to have a giant impact, that I know, on, on our little network here. So looking forward. We're getting AJ Styles? He doesn't. What? He said impact. For no, one, he, he that would be if he said this is going to be phenomenal. Yeah, for one, he's not there anymore. Yeah, and, but he's like the best they ever had. And and B, it, no, Small Joe. And B, it's not necess- It wasn't necessary to be a pun. Kid Cash, it, man. Uh, what are you talking about? It was. Cash. Yeah, that's actually uh, Davis let it out of bed. We're gonna have a podcast. With Kid Cash and Shark Boy. Shark Boy. Anyways, so I don't think I have anything else to talk about. Should we just go ahead and? Let's do it. This is going to be a long show. Yeah, this. this, And when you hear uh, the show we're doing, you'll know why. Because this week we're going back to set set your stopwatches. Matt, March fourteenth, two thousand four. We're going to cover WrestleMania twenty, which was four and a half hours. Good, good pick, TJ. Hopefully, this show won't be. Now you guys said no. Before we get to the show, let's see what was happening in your world yesterday. Let's run through some events. Filter free up first stories of Mr. Cut. March 1st, Terry Nichols is convicted of state murder charges as well as being an accomplice to Oklahoma City bomber Timothy Mouvet. We have covered this story in great detail way back in the day. Season 1, Episode 9, where we covered WCW Great American Bash 1997. Terry Nichols was crazy as shit. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. Yep. And a dick. March 2nd. Major League asshole Marge Shot dies at the age of 75 from being an ass face. We've covered this butt wipe on a few different occasions. Butt wipe? You don't call people butt wipe anymore? No. I'm not I'm not seven. You should, it's fun. I like it. Butt wipe. Thank you you like wiping your butt. On you the don't? It beats not wiping yeah. it. Better like have Tim it uses the, Tim uses the shell. I have three seashells. <laughs> Timmy's just walking around air drying. That's disgusting. <laughs> March 2nd. 
The Pittsburgh Penguins end their NHL record 14-game losing streak on the road as they go into the New York and tie the Islanders 3-3. to Haku and Tama? Sure. I think you've made that joke before. Never gets old. No, it does. It was the first time. Get me on the first time. <laughs> March 3rd, Miami Hurricanes defensive tackle Vince Wolfork marries Bianca Farinas at the Little White Chapel in Las Vegas. Going all out. out. What did you say, Dave? Are they, are they still married? I don't know. She got lost in his belly button. I don't think there was a divorce date Fuck. next to it. So they I got think. divorced in 2021. Oh, recently, wow. Sam. I wonder if survive was, COVID. She was a tiny girl. He's, he's no, I've not. Seen them, I've seen them. Uh, he's a massive before. man. Yeah. March 3rd, Belgium Brewing Company Interbrew merges with Brazilian brewer Ambev for $11.2 billion. And then they bought anheuser Brew. They did. And people don't realize that. No, wait, it's Coors, Coors and Miller merge, and people don't realize that Coors Light and Miller Light is the same thing. It's not. It's mm-hmm. really not. No, it's not. The only difference is can. And no, it's and not. And the taste. When you buy and a can when you buy a keg of Coors Light, it's actually Keystone. Now that I may I may give you, but Miller and Coors still have different brewing recipes. Keystone. Keith Stone. March 5th, character actor Walt Gorney, famous for playing in Friday the 13th and Trading Places, dies at the age of 91. He was Jason? I don't think he was Jason, no. Well, then he wouldn't be famous for playing in Friday the 13th. I mean, what else am I supposed to say? Uh, Walt Gorney died? Or you he was, skip it? Because he was meaningless. <laughs> it could be a, a story that missed the, missed the cut. He was one of the guys walking out of a storefront in Friday the 13th. He That's, was in Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th Part 2, <laughs> and Friday the 13th Part 3. And there. 8. Yeah. And Easy Money. Is that on there? No, I put uh, Trading Places. Mm. And Cops and Robbers. And Seize the Day. He's so he was in everything in the 1980s. He was best known for his role as Crazy Ralph in the 1980s Flashback film. He was also in Friday the 13th Part 7. Ugh. <laughs> I bet that movie won a word. It was getting good. Yeah, it was just, we're just hitting their stride. March 11th. <laughs> Terrorists set off bombs in Madrid, focusing on the rail system as it takes out a commuter train, killing 190. Didn't the train in there. <clears throat> I remember that. Yep. You know I, what I realized doing these uh, stories that missed the cut is the longer we progress to 2000, there's a lot more death stories. There's a ton, like this one. March 13th, Luciano Pavarotti performs in his final opera, a performance of Tasca at the New York Metropolitan. Figaro! Figaro, 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 Figaro. That's not, that's not Tosca. Like, Do I you know what Tosca is? I don't. No, but I know that's not it. That's Figaro. <laughs> Figa, Tosca. <laughs> March. March 20th. It's time for the Soul Train Music Awards as the three big winners are Janet Jackson, Beyonce, and some butt wipe named R. Kelly. Butt wipe again? What? Yeah. I'll never get tired of saying it. March 23rd, Usher releases his fourth studio yeah. album, Confessions. Yeah, yeah that, that's where the world discovered he's kind of a dirtbag. 
Usher? Yeah. Yeah. He's got the herp, doesn't he? He should have, but if he doesn't. I think did we do a story? I feel like we did a story about this once before. March 28th, Adam Scott beats Padraig Harrington by one stroke to win the PGA Players Championship. EPC Sawgrass. On the same day, Grace Park wins the Kraft Nabisco Championship, beating Airy Song by one stroke. What did you call him? Padraig Harrington. Padraig Harrington. Was it really that much of a difference that we had to stop the show for that? Yes. You put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Thank you, Mike Myers. What is going on here? Did you just what? call him a syllable? <laughs> <laughs> March 30th, Jennifer Gardner divorces, divorces Scott Foley after four years of marriage. What a birthday present for me. Or as Jennifer TJ Gardner. calls him, Scott Filet. <laughs> All right, let's continue the show. <laughs> March 31st, Kevin Brown of the New York Yankees pitches to a 12 to 1 win over the Rays, making, making him only the second pitcher in Major League history to have beaten all 30 teams. Believe it or not, we covered Kevin Brown's career in season one, episode nine, the same episode we covered Timothy McVeigh. Little known fact what's that guy the, that Dave used to like that's not a Ray anymore? The catcher. Mike Zanino. Oh, Mike Zanino? Scored the only run in that game. Probably not. He was probably he didn't play school. for the Rays then, stupid. In 2004. He was probably playing, playing for San Diego State. Uh, he played for Florida. He's a Gator. Good job, That's why he sucks. He's a shitty hitter. I don't Learn care. your stick ball, okay? <laughs> I hate my team. Let's go from the stickball to the football. Stories in the wheelhouse. March 2nd, Peyton Manning of the Indianapolis Colts signs a seven-year, $98 million contract with a $34.5 million signing bonus, making this the largest overall contract in NFL history at the time. Here in 2004, Manning had just finished his seventh season all with the Colts, and the 28-year-old Manning was already turning into one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Manning was drafted number one overall in 1998 by the Colts after Manning had a stellar career at quarterback for the Volunteers. He was the second Volunteer ever to be drafted at the number one spot behind only George Cafego, a running back slash quarterback. So you know this was already a while ago. Cafego. Who, Cafego. Who was, was drafted by the Chicago Cardinals in 1940. After a decent rookie season with the Colts, even with his high interception rate, Manning improved every year thereafter. Here in 2004, this would be the second straight MVP season in which he threw for 4,557 yards, a then record 49 touchdowns, and only 10 picks for a rating of 121.1. Can I interest anyone in those numbers? Sounds like James Winston. It takes the Bears a decade to get any of those numbers. You, you have to reverse the touchdown interception numbers for it to be Jameis Winston. You have weird fingers. You're like... <laughs> He's got fingers like Dan. The, la- the ladies love them. I don't think so. They're ribbed for her pleasure. In t- <laughs> Double jointed for her pleasure. Please, please stop. In 2013, ESPN ranked this 4 season the second greatest season by a quarterback ever. I'm just really trying to focus on my last sentence. In the category of weird stuff, 
This was the only season of Marion's career he threw less than 500 passes. While this contract was the largest in NFL history at the time, it pales in comparison to what players are making now. Patrick Mahomes signed a 10-year, $450 million contract in 2020. Ain't shit. Selected number one overall by the Colts in 1998, Manning helped transform the Colts from a laughing stock in the NFL into perennial playoff contenders, leading them to 11 playoff appearance, appearances, eight division titles, three AFC championship games, two Super Bowl appearances, and one championship title at Super Bowl 41 after defeating TJ's Chicago Bears. The only game that ever made me cry. They were terrible. Who? How, the Bears. How did, how did Rex Grossman? Devin Hester in the defense. That's how we got there. Yeah. Correct. Manning holds numerous NFL records, including MVP awards with five, quarterback first-team All-Pro selections with seven, 4,000-yard passing seasons, single-season passing yards, and single-season season passing touchdowns. Manning is also third in career passing yards and passing touchdowns, as he was passed by Tampa Bay Buccaneer legend Tom Brady. And Drew Brees. He's the other one, right? Yeah. So, I, Timmy, I couldn't help but notice that you called Patrick Mahomes not shit earlier. Is that was that no the his exact contract? Word? His contract is not shit. I was going to say because it, uh, there's going to be like three contracts handed out this offseason that are going to be bigger. I was going to say because uh, your boy, he's got just as many Super Bowl appearances Manning did with the Colts, but he won one of them. What? Joe Burrow my, did not. My, Joe Burrow oh. is in year four. Joe Burrow's a loser. And, oh, wait, and, he's only got one Manning, Manning won two of them. Thank you. No, he won one with Denver. I meant with the yeah. Colts. Oh, well. And actually, that Burrow's only got yeah. one. I gave you too much credit. Yeah. So I started looking at Peyton Manning because I, I kind of like Peyton Manning, but guess I what I found? You, I would prefer you would do that for the story. You should research Peyton Manning. In 1996, while attending the University of Tennessee, Manning was accused of sexual assault. By trainer Jamie Ann Notright. Not, not, naga, naga, not going to work here anymore. After he pressed his genitals against Notright's face during a foot examination. I don't even know how that happens. All right. He claimed that he was just pulling a prank by mooning Malcolm Saxon in the room as Notright bent over to examine him. Okay, now I'm getting the logistics. She was examining his foot. It was on the floor. So she had to bend down, and then she got balls in her face. Got well, it. Well, yeah, but to moon someone, you have to bend over, so his genitals would have been farther away from her face. Here's the problem. Both Nallwright and Saxon denied Manning's story. That's a problem. When the it teammate is. is denying it, that that's not good. Her Peyton Man, uh, Manning moon you. I don't know what you're talking about. Nallwright settled with the university for $300,000 for its alleged failure in four incidents and resigned from the school. She also made a list of 33 complaints about the school. Yikes. But, but guess what? That ain't it. Nallwright filed a defamation lawsuit against Manning and three other parties in 2002, claiming that Manning defamed her in a book he wrote with his father and author John Underwood. I remember that. The lawsuit was settled after the court ruled there was, was sufficient evidence for it to be heard by a jury. Terms of the settlement were not disclosed due to confidentiality terms. Yeah, he teabagged her. 
Well, uh, again, allegedly, we, definitely we, allegedly, well, definitely allegedly, but we haven't said that in forever either. But I mean, we've said this several times on the show now. You don't settle for three hundred thousand dollars if you're innocent. Well, that was the university, but still, settle for three hundred thousand dollars. They're probably Peyton. <sighs> Did you fruit ball the trainer? Yes, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> How much fruit is this going to huh? take? Make this go away. <laughs> now get out there and go beat Alabama. March 6th, we have another sad wrestling story here. It's Raymond Fernandez, better known to the world as Hercules Hernandez, passes away at the age of 47. Let that sink in for a minute. He was only 47, which means when he started the WWF at 85, he was 28. (laughs) Duh. With the size and the look, you wonder why Hercules didn't do more. He was born on May 7th, 1956 in New York City, but was moved to live with his grandmother at six years old in Tampa, Florida, after his mother died from cancer. After graduating from high school in 1974, Hernandez, Fernandez, Hercules, I don't know what his name is, he enlisted in the Air Force for three years because he's awesome. When he returned to Florida in 1979, he would enter training for pro wrestling under the tutelage of Hiro Matsuda, and Hiro didn't break his leg. That's interesting. After bouncing around in Florida and Texas, he would get his first major success in Central States Wrestling out of Kansas City. Here he won the tag titles twice with partner Dewey Robinson, or as some of you would know him, the missing link. He would also have feuds with Manny Fernandez and Harley Race, and his feud with Race put Hernandez into the NWA world title picture. While Hercules never won any titles in the WWF, he is best known for his time spent in Vince McMahon's wrestling organization. If nothing else, Hercules' feud with the Ultimate Warrior in 1988 is still one that is talked about today. Mm-hmm. Hated Hercules, it. Hercules was swinging his chain in the direction of the Warrior when Warrior caught the chain, and the two began a game of tug-of-war, which led to the steel chain snapping at the middle. This led to their grudge match at WrestleMania 4 and began the unfortunate push of the Ultimate Warrior. Hercules should have won. In 1990, Hercules joined forces with Paul Roma to form the very underrated tag team Power and Glory. They started out hot in a feud with the Rockers and actually defeated them at SummerSlam, then challenged the Hart Foundation unsuccessfully for the WWF tag team title. And unsuccessfully. By the time WrestleMania 7 rolled around, they were pushed down the card and were defeated by the Legion of Doom in less than one minute. His last televised WWF match in 1992, not even a year later, Hercules was squashed in under one minute by Sid Justice at Madison Square Garden. A clearly frustrated Hercules took a powerbomb from Sid, followed by the three count, then completely no-sold the move by getting up unhurt and walking back to the locker room. Bet that went over well. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking Hercules in that fight, though. Yeah. I would, too. Unless Sid has a softball bat. Or I think I said, uh, Jim Cornette has told some stories about Hercules. I, th- I, I think I would give Sid the bat and Hercules would still win that fight. <laughs> well, I figured out where Hercules' career went south in WWF. It's when he started wearing those ugly-ass baby blue trunks. Mm. Terrible. Keep him in black. In 1992, Hercules went to WCW and adopted the Super Invader gimmick once again with the mask. Apparently, he had it back in Mid-South, I think. Which we've seen. 
The highlight of his run as Super Invader was his appearance at the Class of the Champions 20, teaming with Rick Rude, Jake Roberts, and Big Van Vader in an old-timers elimination tag match against Sting, Nikita Koloff, and the Steiner Brothers. Wonder who won. They weren't yeah, old they, in 1992. They kind of were, yeah. Vader was. Uh, no, Vader was probably the youngest. No. Yes. Jake, no. Jake was easily the oldest. Rick Rude probably behind him, and then Hercules. Vader was young in 92. Producer, can we look up these ages? Because I don't think that's right at all. He's probably, I think he's got them all backwards. Uh, no, I don't. By the end of 1992, Fernandez had left WCW because, yeah. In March of 1993, he debuted in New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he appeared as Hercules Hernandez once more, mainly teaming with fellow powerhouse wrestler Scott Norton to form the Jurassic Powers. Vader was 37 then. Yeah, he played in the 1979 Super Bowl. Young. What's that? 37? Young. 37's young to me. You called him the old timers. No, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> He's the younger of the old timers. You just got caught in your own bullshit in it. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> While in New Japan, they won the tag team. Rick Rude was 34 then. See, old. <laughs> That's what I said, old timers. In New Japan, they won the tag team championship from the Road Warriors knockoff team, the Hellraisers, and would go on to have matches with others such as the Steiner Brothers in Japan. And as we're covering him now, he died in his sleep March 6, 2004 from an apparent heart disease brought on by steroids, definitely, allegedly. Yeah, I mean, he, he is like one of the few cases, like, why didn't he do more? He was good in the ring for his size. He could he move. Was decent. Yeah. He looked, he looked great. He did look great. And he started off with Heenan in the WWF. Like, you, I, don't I don't, know, you don't know what kind of back he started off with Blasty in the WWF. Did he? Correct. And oh, he had the leather belt. gimmick. That, that was cool looking. Oh, didn't he and go from long, Blassie crazy to hair? Slick. Yeah. Did he go from Blasty to Slick to Heenan, I think it was? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, now let's move from the sad to March Madness. March 13th and 14th, it's conference tournament time in college hoops. I'll get us started here with the Big Ten Championship as number 10 Wisconsin beats number 12 Illinois 70 to 53. Both of these teams were incredibly even as Illinois went 26 and 7, while Wisconsin went 25 and 7. Illinois was 13 and 3 in conference play, while Wisconsin was 12 and 4. However, the Big Ten tournament was kind of a letdown as outside of Wisconsin and Michigan State, and Michigan State was 18-12 and and unranked, Michigan State only lost by two points on that game, 68-66. The next closest game in the Big Ten tournament was a 57-52 win for Northwestern over Penn State, then a nine-point win for Michigan over Iowa. Every other game was decided by 12 points or more with the most lopsided being this championship game, which Wisconsin won by 17. Wisconsin ended up, not good at basketball. Not 904. Wisconsin ended up losing the second round of the tournament to Pitt, 59 to 55, while Illinois made it to the Sweet 16, losing to the number one seeded Duke team, 72-62. 
The ACC tournament was played in Greensboro, North Carolina, and won by the number six seed, Maryland Terrapins. Unlike this past season, the ACC was still king in college basketball here in 04. Six of the nine ACC schools were ranked inside the top 20 nationally, with Maryland being the lowest rank at number 19. Maryland had some truly close games and route to their championship. In the quarterfinals, they defeated number 15 Wake Forest 87 to 86, followed by another nail biter against number 17 NC State, which they pulled off 85 to 82. In the ACC championships, the Terrapins took down those pesky Blue Devils from Duke in overtime, 95 to 87. Miami's good this year. They're in the Sweet 16. That's ACC. That's it. Yeah. That's it. They're in the Sweet 16 in the men and women's, and they beat both teams beat IU. Yep. The Conference USA tournament was hosted in God's country and was won by the host Cincinnati Bearcats. Conference USA this year would send six schools to the big dance. Charlotte, Cincinnati, DePaul, Louisville, Memphis, and UAB. What a conference. However, they would only have one team make the Sweet 16, and that was UAB, oddly enough. A number nine seed that knocked off the number one seed trash bags, the University of Kentucky. I hate you, Kentucky. So this is going to be tough. But let's go ahead, get the intro ready. It's time for box score trivia. Because you don't trust anyone, or they can misconstrue your word. Just all won't get fine, boss. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, this is this is gonna this this kind of feels dirty. Uh, so, top ten points per game. Uh, no one. In, there's only one player in a major conference in the top ten, and I don't know who he is. Actually, no, never mind. He plays for Kansas City, not Kansas State. So there's no one in a major conference in the top ten. If you can guess one person, <laughs> I will buy you dinner. Are any of them in the NBA now? Did any of them make the NBA? I think at least one of them did. But you're, he was like a bench player. Oh, geez. Oh, four. I'll just give you guys two guesses. Andrew Bogut. No. I'll he, didn't go to, he didn't go to college, did he? Or he's from, yeah, like, he, he's from Australia. He played at Utah. Yeah. Mm. But that would be a major conference. Who? Were, Utah wasn't who a major in? conference then. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a guy from Arizona State. Keith Van Horn. No. He was drafted in late 98. Think about Gonzaga. Who who played at Gonzaga? At None time? of them are here in Gonzaga. So let me uh-huh. let me give you the schools. You ready? Yeah. A- Akron. Yep, that helps. The Zips. Arizona State. Sun Devils. IUPUI. doesn't count. I didn't see him until just now. IUPUI. Oakland. Kansas City. Athletics. Athletics as well. Manhattan. Vermont. Tease. Was Temple in a big? I don't know. They were. Yeah, they were in uh, the Big East, or no? The, no, they were in uh, the Atlantic Ten. 
Mac. Yeah. They were in the Mac. No, they were in the A10. Stupid. Yeah, whatever. Western Carolina, my favorite of the Carolinas, and St. Peter's. I have zero idea of any of those guys. Let's go ahead and do I'll just do the top tip. We'll just get it over with. See if you guys recognize any of these, uh, these names. Number 10, superstar from Akron, 22.7 points a game, Derek Tarver. Antonio nine, Tarver. The one person I'm pretty sure made the NBA as a bench player from Arizona State, Ike Diagu. Don't know him. Number eight, Odell Bradley from IUPUI. You related to Odell Beckham? I don't think so. Oh. Odell Thurman? Number seven, Mike Helms. Odell Winfrey. <laughs> Michael Watson from Kansas City. Number uh, number five, Luis Flores from Manhattan. Number four, Taylor Coppenrath. Who can forget him from Vermont? Number three, David Hawkins from Temple. Number two, Kevin I had a buddy named David Hawkins. Is it him? He played basketball, but I think he played at like Elon in North Carolina. Andrew Hawkins played for the Bengals. He was a wide receiver. Right. Number two, not Kenyon Martin, but Kevin Martin from Western Carolina. It's his cousin. What school was David Hawkins? Temple? Temple. And number one, Kedron Clark from St. Peter's. No, they different. <laughs> okay. Let's go to rebounds per game. Now we've got some uh, we've got some NBA players sprinkled in here for show. So we'll do two. We'll do two. Emeka Okafor. Uh, Mecca Okafor, number three from UConn in 11 and a half. There you go. Oh, four. Oh, four. One of these guys dated a Kardashian. Chris Odom? Chris Humphreys, number 10 from Minnesota, 10.1. Here's the rest of your top 10. My favorite name possibly ever, number nine, Odarty Blankson from UNLV. (laughs) Number eight, Cuthbert Victor from Murray State. Yeah, Cuthbert. Number seven from Western Kentucky, Nigel Dixon. Number six, Charles Game from Southern Miss. Number five, Nigel Wyatt from Wagner. Number four, Nate Wyatt. Wyatt. What is it with you in pronunciation tonight? Not Wyatt? No, it's W-Y-A-T-T-E. Wyatt. No. It's Wyatt. Wyatt A. Number four, Nate Lofton from southeastern Louisiana. It's pronounced white. <laughs> it probably is. Number two, Jamie Loretta from LSU. And number one, former Utah Jazz and Atlanta Hawks player Paul Millsap from Louisiana Tech. Twelve for Ronnie Millsap. Not the same guy. Fred uh, Millsap. Probably not related. Let's see. Can you get? Oh, yeah. Dave should be able to get one of these. Top ten assists per game. We'll see if uh, we'll see if Dave can get the one because he's from North Carolina. Four. Fuck. Who played for them in 04? Uh I know it was uh, Ray Ray Felton. Ray Felton, number five, seven point one. Here's the rest of your top ten. Oh, by the way, we didn't even mention at the beginning of the show. We're doing. Uh, Are you smarter than a step hens on the thirty first? Uh, top ten, number nine, tied. Mike McGrain and Walker Russell. Walker, Texas Ranger. Number eight, Jarrell Blazengame from UNLV. Good name. It is. They actually are running back for the Bears named Kerry Blazengame. They're cousins. cousins. Yep. Number seven, Blake Stepp from Gonzaga. Number six, Maurice Seawright from Grambling. Number four, Andres Rodriguez from American University. Which his name sounds nothing American. 
It's not important. We're the melting okay. pot, baby. Number three, Aaron <laughs> Miles from Kansas. Number two, Martel Bailey from UIC. And number one from Troy, Greg Davis. 8.3 assists per game. And um, mercifully, that was the end of Boxer Trivia. Let's move on. That was terrible. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah I would have thought there had been a handful more of you know college basketball players we knew from before. No, We did better than I thought we were going to do. We just okay. had to get away from points per game. Yes. Yeah, that was Ray Felton, Sean May, Rashad McCants, Carolina team, because they won it the next year. It's a good they team. Won the championship. Yeah. March 15th, let's move from the hardwood to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This year, it's Jackson Brown, the Dells, George Harrison, Prince, Bob, I knew it, Bob Seeger, ZZ Top, <laughs> Jan Winner, and Traffic. Who is Jan Winner? Sure. We've covered Prince, I don't know, 30 times now on this show. Tim now I'm going to save George Harrison for an actual Beatles topic one day. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take Jackson Brown here. Brown was born on October 9th, 1948 in Heidelberg, Germany, which is where his dad was stationed as a writer for the Stars and Stripes magazine or newspaper, whichever one it was. At the age of three, Brown and his family moved to Los Angeles, and it didn't take Jackson long to explore his musical side as he started singing at the Ash Grove and the Troubadour Club as a teenager. After graduating from high school in 1966, Brown debuted with a nitty-gritty dirt band, Fishing in the Dark. But his time with the band was short-lived as he moved to New York after only a few months with the band. Boy, did he screw up. I mean, he still made it in the Hall of Fame. He could have done fishing in the dark, though. It's true. In the late 1970s, Brown took up a cause that was popular at the time, especially with the Three Mile Island incident in 1979, which, of course, we know caused Adam, Adam Bomb. Bomb. That's where Adam Bomb's from. Yep. Which was used your eyes for you when you go through that. Yeah, and your tongue. <laughs> which was, and also gives you an overabundance of vortex footballs to throw in the crowd. <laughs> And this cause was the use of nuclear energy and the health concerns therein. Just so you know how legit Brown is with this cause thing. Because, you know, sometimes they're wishy-washy and saying they we should do one thing, but they're actually doing another. Ed Begley Jr., which is not a name I expected to pop up in the story, said that Brown's home is wind-powered and his house is legitimately off the electrical grid. So he's living, he's living his message here. He's been nominated for a Grammy six times, with the latest nomination being in 2022 for Best Americana Album, Downhill from Everywhere. What is Americana? It was an Offspring album. Other than that, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think the Best Offspring cover band. I think Don McLean was. I think like Don McLean was technically like Americana. Was in that category. Stupid category. He's also received several humanitarian awards, including the Gandhi Peace Award in 2018. Becoming the first artist to ever achieve the award. The Dells were an American R&B vocal group out of Harvey, Illinois, who all began singing together while attending Thornton Township High School in 1952. In 1956, the Dells recorded their first hit, Oh, What a Night, which hit the top five of the R&B singles chart and sold more than one million copies. I picked the group because I said, oh, man, I know that song. Oh, what a night. Wrong. <laughs> yes, it's December, 
back in 63. By the way, it was released in 1950. Well, when I looked him up on YouTube to listen to this when I looked him up on YouTube to hear the song, I was like, this is not the song I know. <laughs> I believe that was the OJs that did that song. Not the Simpsons. There's multiple OJ Simpsons? No. The OJs, I believe, is the name of the band that did. No. The Four Seasons. I had fun. This is Four fun. Seasons. This is fun. In 1966, the Dells were hired to open for Ray Charles. Only to be fired after a performance resulted in several standing ovations from the crowd. How dare they be good? That's weird. Ray couldn't even see them. I know. How do you know they were standing? Right. No, Ray, they're sitting. <laughs> I know they're standing. I can almost see it. I heard all the the seat bottoms go back up and hit the back. <laughs> <laughs> in, in 1966, the, the swiveling seats. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Is that is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. ZZ Top was formed in 1969 in Houston, Texas. I thought that ZZ Top was one person. What? Okay, I was wrong. No, ZZ Top's not one person. You also no. thought the song released in 1956 was Oh What a Night Late December 1963. Hey, maybe they were singing about the future. They were going to bang. Late <laughs> December back in 63. ZZ Top hosted an episode of Monday Night Raw and there was two of them. <laughs> there's actually sure? three of them. One of them is dead. Well, there's two of them on the show. Hey, let me tell my story. I don't want to hear your story. She's got legs. For 51 years, it was composed of vocalist guitarist Billy Gibbons that's drummer Frank Beard Who? and bassist vocalist Dusty Hill until Hill's death in 2021. Shouldn't have been standing there. ZZ Top has released 15 studio albums and sold an estimated 50 million albums worldwide. That's a few. And let's talk about the future. ZZ Top appeared in a cameo in Back to the Future Part 3 as an Old West band playing an acoustic version of their song Double Back with a large fiddle band. That's fantastic. ZZ Top played Super Bowl 31 in 1997, along with the Blues Brothers and James Brown. Wow. Barf. What? Why was the Blues? I, I understand the other two, but the Blues Brothers? And this was Bel uh, Bel uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Goodman. Yeah. Do you know who well, won Super Bowl <laughs> unless Unless they brought quick sports trivia. Who won Super Bowl 31? Go. Packers. Green Bay Packers. On January 22nd, 2010, Billy Gibbons, Will Ferrell, and Beck joined the band playing Leonard Skinner's Freebird on Conan O'Brien's Last Tonight Show appearance. O'Brien joined on guitar. All right, let me... Billy Gibbons, Will Ferrell, Beck, and Conan O'Brien playing Freebird. It's pronounced guitar. 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 Whatever. Gutter. That that's okay. On June fourth, two thousand fourteen, ZZ Top opened the CMT award ceremony, performing Lagrange with Luke Bryan and Florida Georgia Line, and I was there. It was excellent. I was about nine rows deep. I mean, room. if you had noticed from the lack of comments from that, we didn't care. You didn't. Yeah, you didn't. Need to I know. Keep going. Nobody gives a shit. You guys don't have taste. I get it. <laughs> 
By the time of Hill's death in 2021, ZZ Top had become the longest running band with an unchanged lineup in the history of popular music. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's a long time. Backstreet Boys are almost there. Like 35 more years to go. (laughs) On December 12th, 2022, ZZ Top announced a co-headlining tour with Leonard Skinner for the summer of 2023 titled Sharp Dressed Simple Man Tour. There's only like one member from Leonard Skinner left, isn't there? Uh, they keep replacing them. There's only one man from Leonard Skinner, too. Leonard. It's yeah. Leonard. Yeah. No. Skinner. Just, that's the name of the band now. Leonard. It's somebody it's in Mike Kern. Skinner died. So it's just. Or Steve Leonard. Kern. I said Mike Kern. Steve Kern. Pitch to my clip. Oh, it's time for Dave's Faves. Have you seen it? life together when do we ever have a life together come on sporto level with me you slipper the hot beef injection go to hell what's going on all right so our score is tied three to three we did not have have you seen it last week so we have it this week it's back Four movies. There's a chance for a tie. Hopefully, it doesn't end in a tie because I want to see somebody get chopped. Mm. Movie number one. With a budget of $30 million, our first movie grossed more than $612 million worldwide at the box office. Holy Nikes. This movie depicts the final 12 hours in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. On the day of his Passion of the Christ. Christ. TJ won. He got it first. Yeah. Every time. Because no, I'm always first. You're dead. wrong. He said it. He said it before you did. TJ. Well, well I can't move the audio this time. So I guess we'll actually see when I got the audio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you will yeah. see that I was first. I heard Christ first come out of the mouth of Timothy J. Steppens. He's right. Right Timothy. Wrong or wrong Timothy. Right name. So you're right. right Movie number B. We don't we don't have a clip for Passion of the Christ. Oh yeah. Clip. I keep forgetting we have clips. Clip. Skip that shit next time. And that is the only (laughs) we can play. That's literally the clip you gave us. A Mel Gibson movie. Passion of the Christ. (laughs) I remember watching that in theaters when it came out. Oh my lord! You had to Why would you see thing. that? Terrible! I saw it. it. Anti-Semitic. No, Mel Gibson's anti-Semitic. The movie's not. He made the movie. Oh, man. I don't think we knew he was a douche yet. I think it was right after this. All right, movie number B, with a budget of sixty million. Our second movie this week grossed more than hundred and seventy million at the box office. Two streetwise cops bust criminals in their red and white Ford Grand Torino. Oh, um, the help of police. TJ got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I almost said, I, uh, it's okay. I, almost, I got the first one. No, you didn't. TJ. All right. I almost said, the clip. What do you think? Oh, I love it. Great stuff. Yeah, you look like, uh, just like a rich cowboy who came riding in off the farm. Hey, do me a favor. Tip your hat forward. Just tilt it forward. Come on. I like it where it is. No, seriously. Come on. Do it. Do it. Will you 
Will you stop with that? That voice makes you sound crazy. It's not making me sound crazy. It makes me sound like Maury Finkel. Founder of Finkel Fixtures. Biggest lighting fixture chain in the Southland. What was the name of that movie again? Starsky and Hutch. That was the first of like 11 movies that those two were in together. Yeah, Ben Stiller went on a spree in 03, 04, 05. Did a ton of movies. And then disappeared off face of the earth till Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Dodgeball. All right, here we go. Movie number C. Tim, you got to get this or you're a loser. <laughs> Our third movie this week is a sequel. And raked in more than $180 million at the box office. Bad Boys 2. The Mystery Inc. gang must save Coolsville from an attack of their past monsters brought to life by an evil masked figure trying to take down the gang. Monsters 2. Stars <laughs> Freddie Prinze Jr., Sarah Michelle Gellar, Matthew oh, Lillard, Scooby-Doo 2. Scooby-Doo 2. Monsters Unleashed. Clip. Ned. When I realized she was the evil masked figure, he quickly changed into her costume. But why did she do it? Because Heather Jasper Howe is actually... Dr. Jonathan Jacobo. So Jacobo survived that fall off the prison wall. The real identity of Ned is... Ow. Ned. I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling punks. I love that guy, point Jacobo. So I'm sure it won tons of awards. Mm-hmm. Won an Oscar that year. All right, here we go. Oscar the Our last movie. That was the Oscar one. Timmy, you got to get this one, and this one's hard. I'm good at getting hard ones. Our last movie this week is an American comedy drama that raked in $35.5 million on a $35 million budget. Oh, no. Nice. <laughs> Someone got fired. A widower must look after his precocious daughter and rebuild his life and career after he's sidelined by an unexpected tragedy and a personal blow-up. This film was written by Kevin Smith, and is the first film of his not to feature appearances by Jay and Silent Bob. Oh, um. It stars Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler. Mallrats? No, I can. Oh, no. uh, what is it? Damn it. Clerks. It's terrible. It's a terrible movie. J-Lo in it. It's like. Uh, Big five, Daddy. Four. Three. Something love. Two. What, uh, What's love got to do with it? No. Jersey girl. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Love's not in the title. You lied. It's not, but I knew it was a short title. The worst movie Kevin Smith's ever done. Terrible. DJ wins 5 4. Chess choppy time. What? Mm. Is the game over now? You're not going to do movies anymore. Not this month. I haven't uh, lost a month yet. Five months. Well, good news is I got the chest for it, so let's bring it on. And we, we have a new candidate now to chop it, but we just can't tell anyone who it is. Yeah. Let's move on to the wrestling card, because this is going to take four hours. WrestleMania 20, <laughs> March 14th, 2004. We're at Madison Square Garden, where it all begins again. again. 
And they kept telling us that over and over. I think it was 77 even, times. It was even in one of the promos, which was stupid. As you would know, it was on Undertaker's entrance video. Announcers for Raw, we had JR the King. For SmackDown, like we had Michael Cole and Taz. Not so much. I'm going to be doing some referencing of the Observer on this show because I'll have some things to point out of uh, why he's a moron as we go through the show. First off, best match of the night, as voted on by the uh, readers of the Observer, was a triple threat match and a landslide, 867 votes compared to second place, which got 81 votes, and that was Eddie and Angle. The readers voted this as 83% thumbs up, which means the other 17% didn't deserve votes. Obviously, I understand why WrestleMania is in much larger stadiums now, but the crowd was amped up for this. And I don't think you can really say anything bad about Madison Square Garden. They were pumped. For the place as a whole. It didn't look like it here. Well, mm. Match one. John Cena beats the big show in 914 to win the U.S. title. I'm not going to stress a lot about reviewing matches on this card. Otherwise, it would take 11 hours to do this show. I told you guys before I watched it, I've never watched WrestleMania 20 all the way through because I was in person for 19. And shortly thereafter, I went on my wrestling hiatus, didn't come back till 08. Cena looked good here, and Big Show is still getting on a little on the bigger side, yeah, but still accomplished what he needed to do to get Cena over. Cena wins with the Nucks, and then an FU, one and a quarter stars this match got, which is way too low. I thought there was no better way to start off the show than with a red-hot Cena match. Mm-hmm. I miss rapper Cena. Every time we see him, I say it. He needs to come back with that gimmick now. No. He's like I've 40. said it before, and I'll say He's it again. He's not coming back. He needs to come back as a rapper. <laughs> I'll say it before, and I'll say it again. No wrestler was more misused by the WWF than the Big Show. And the whole reason Paul White went to the WWF is because Hulk Hogan told him to and said, Vince will know how to use you perfect. Hmm. He, did, he did for about a year. I mean, to be fair, he got like 20 years worth of $10 million paydays. Hmm. No, we're not saying he's not. Misuse me all you want if you're going to give me $200 million. Well, that's a difference between mispaid and misused. Those are two different things. Yeah. But I thought the FU Cena pulled off was massive. I mean, that was crazy because Big Show was huge here. Yes, he was. Come back to that in just a second. I agree, Dave. Love this version of Cena. But I can't quit watching all the security guards running around in the background on that little picture they have that was friggin' annoying i hated it because i watched them and not the match oh the screen behind the ring but there were like security guards yeah. talking on walkie talkies and running and oh there's there was people walking in between in front of it too t- at times there was more action going on behind the match than in the match that's a problem yes but dave i agree this was nearly the biggest the big show was so yeah cena was impressive when he fu'd him this was the beginning of Cena's meteoric rise. He would be in the world championship match the next year against JBL. We'll come back to him. And squeaky clean Cena wins with the Nucks here. I gotta love rapper Cena. Mm. I forgot that at 19 he came out and rapped. I don't re- I was there and I didn't remember about it. I didn't remember that he did that. Word life. Yep. Match Basic two. Ergonomics. Basic thugonomics. Match two, 
RVD and Booker T retain the tag titles in a four corners tag match against the Dudleys, Lance Cade and Mark Jindrak and La Resistance. This crowd was deathly silent when La Resistance came out, and they weren't much better for Cade and Jindrak either. However, the crowd wasn't noticeable throughout the show, so I just wonder if the crowd was mic'd bad. There was quite a no. few spots. They were mic'd. You couldn't hear them, but you could definitely see they were reacting. Not a bad match, but I don't like these multi-team matches ever. And there's another one identical to this one later on, star and a half. How far had Booker T fallen here? One year prior, he was the hottest face in the company, not named Austin. Just a prior year in his feud with HH8 with HHH. HHH. One year prior, his feud with HHH. <laughs> so at All WrestleMania 19, at WrestleMania 19 against Triple H, he was on fire and they jobbed him away in a match they never should have. I synced it. And now he was in this throwaway tag match with Rob Van Dam, and was nothing but complete filler garbage. This match had no place being on WrestleMania card. I never knew Cade teamed with Jindrak. That's I didn't either. I thought he was always with Murdoch. Yeah. This match is a bigger mess than those that everyone on, like the Battle Royals where they put everyone in. This this is even worse. (laughs) And And there's two of them. Yeah, well, just like the Battle Royals. Now you got the women's and the men's. Terrible. Andre the Giant Battle Royal and the May. Is it the May Young Battle Royal? Terrible. Backstage, we call it the Wendy Richter Battle Royal. No. But Sherry Martell. The Leilani Kai Battle Royal. (laughs) Luna Vachon. Backstage, we see Coach looking for The Undertaker when he comes across a room with weird noises coming out of it, only to find Okerlund and Heenan having a tag match of their own with Mae Young and Fabulous Moolah. I miss Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan. Yep. A lot. Yeah. A lot. And yeah. it's it was sad because Heenan was already not talking well here, and you just knew what was coming. All right, so this was 20. Mm-hmm. I saw Heenan at uh, WrestleCon at 32 in Dallas. Mm. And he was missing the bot. Like I would not like, I did not sign up to get an autograph because I was like, I will literally cry if I have to make this guy do something. Mm-hmm. I felt so it was right before he passed I, yeah. I wanted to tell him like how great he was, but I like, I, I was like, I can't bother him. No, I understand. He's got more important shit going on right now. I can and he understand. should not be having a signing here. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to. He wanted to be there till the end. <clears throat> so good. Match three. Christian beats Chris Jericho in 1452 after Trish Stratus turns on Jericho. This match was very good. Considering the year and who's in this match, no shock about that. This may be an unpopular opinion now. Jericho belongs in the WWE. Yes. He just fits this company perfect. He'll go back before it's over. Well, no shit. I signed a 10-year deal. Okay, sure. Three and a half stars for this match, and I maybe half a star, quarter star, I'd agree. Yeah, it's pretty close. 
Yeah, I love the hill turn here for Trish Stratus, but I don't remember it being very memorable. And I think it's because shortly after this, Christian got hurt, so the angle was kind of scrapped. Yeah. But it's hard to believe this is almost 20 years ago, and these guys are still going strong, albeit with AEW. I wouldn't say they're going strong. They're going. They're they're still going. Yes. But other than Stacey Keebler, can you name a woman hotter than Trish Stratus? She was and still is absolutely gorgeous. Indeed. Trish was so hot here, but she I'm going to is, her. man. Yeah, she, she still is. is. Good Lord. Not, the only woman that has held it as good as Trish is Tori Wilson. Tori Wilson is a smoke show now. Keebler's still the hottest. Well, I haven't seen Keebler lately. She's kind of a recluse. You will, uh, because she's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. That's the. I, I hope word. she steps over the podium and. She inducted head. she inducted Tori like two years ago. Mocho. But I'm gonna disagree. I did not like this match put me to sleep. She was the best part of this match, was her coming out at the end. And yeah, no, not I did at not all. Like, I, I thought the match, yeah. Nah. I mean you, you can be wrong, that's fine. Not for me. Sorry. It's okay. Match four. Was this match for you? Evolution consisting of Flair Orton and Batista. Beat the Rocket Sock Connection in 703 yes, after Orton hits a pop-up RKO as Foley was going for the Mandible Claw. This is Foley's first match back since WrestleMania 2000. It's probably the best shape he's ever been in, and Foley has said that his confidence wasn't there in this match. You could tell The Rock was pumping him up before the match, and during the promo, he's trying to make him laugh. You could tell. And the match was good. I didn't Real good. Didn't have a problem mm-hmm. with three. Three and three quarter stars is a little little bit high, I think, but crowd was going nuts for Foley this whole match. This match actually shocked me. I watched this WrestleMania live at a buddy's house, and no way did I think that The Rock returning and lose. Like I just didn't think that would happen. But he, the Rock straight. was crazy skinny here. You could tell he was not on the juice yet. Yeah, walking yeah. tall. You know, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's how much faith they had in Orton and Batista. Yeah, because fully taking the RKO and getting pinned cleanly was a great way to push Orton into the main event. Because if you think about it, Orton won the title at SummerSlam, mm-hmm. the next big pay per view. As a very young, I mean, he was the youngest, the youngest WWE at champion, twenty three. But still the no, youngest to this day. I don't even think he was 20. I think he was 21 and something. He was like 23. Was he? Yeah. So I didn't hate the ending. And this match was really good. Oh, I, I love the ending. I thought Considering it was how, how young Orton and Batista were in their careers. Well, well that's, that's a good clarifier. Because Batista was not young. He was like, yeah, yeah he, was, he, was still, Batista was he was still very right new there. to wrestling. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. The star power to be in this match, along with the past star power, is unprecedented. What a, a lot. I found myself during this match not taking notes, but actually watching the mastery of the five guys in the ring. Ric Flair doing the people's elbow may be the funniest thing I've seen in wrestling. That was hilarious. It was. And then we get the beginnings of the RKO out of nowhere to end it. I like everything about the match except for the end. Flair should have eaten that pin. I I understand why they did what they did, right? Like we just mentioned. But 
I, I noticed something in this Foley match because because it wasn't just riddled with bumps and him doing crazy shit. He did do the elbow drop off. He did, he did the cactus elbow, but we don't we don't give Foley enough credit for like his ring presence and storytelling. Because oh. it was it was on display in this match. Because he wasn't doing crazy, he couldn't do crazy shit. And he just told a great story. We have the Hall of Famers come out next, and Jesse Ventura should have kept this look the rest of his life. He's not dead. I know he's not dead, you dummy. I meant have you seen dead. him lately? He looks like he stuck his finger in a light socket. Yeah, he looks like the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. Like he's tangled up in seaweed underwater. You act like his look as a wrestler was great. It was. No, he, looked, he had the skullet going he, on. He looked like Cookie the Clown on the juice. That's what he looked like. Anyway. Cookie the Clown. I love yeah. that. Yeah, you know, don't you? Greg the Hammer Valentine gets the surprising pop of the night. I did not see that coming. The only time in his career he got a pop Absolutely. from the WWF crowd. Good Lord, that guy was just boring. Match five. White bread. Absolutely. With nothing on it. Maybe one piece of bologna. Not even fried bologna. Just out of the package. No, just, yeah. Match five, say, not even Oscar Mayer, like generic brand. Anyway, Sable and Tori Wilson beat Miss Jackie, that's Jackie Gata, and Stacey Kleebler in 233 in a match I didn't watch. Playboy evening gown match. I have to be honest, the show was four and a half hours, and again, I just skipped this. This was uh, a great match. Match of the night. Quarter star. I agree. Match of the, the night. ending. The ending match of the night. My goodness gracious, I had wood. I mean, that is the idea. But this match got 4.25 stars more than Hogan Andre at WrestleMania 3. Well, more on that later. Could you imagine the outrage from fans if they had this match in 2023? They would have burned the arena down. It doesn't matter who really wins because Stacey Keebler wins in my heart. And that's all that matters. This is definitely a different era of women's wrestling. I really enjoy Michael Cole making the hair short joke. What? Good job, you. Goddamn text the type. But I don't remember Miss Jackie ever. She was on uh, the first Tough Enough. Mm -hmm. That could be why I don't remember her. This was literally right before I popped back into wrestling. And she married Charlie Hoff. That's right. Also not memorable. World's greatest tag team. You know what else was memorable? This next match. Match six. Chavo Guerrero retains the Cruiserweight title in a 10-man Cruiserweight Open in 10 and a half minutes. So there was 10 people. 10 and a half minutes. What does this mean, TJ? What is a Cruiserweight Open? Well, Chavo, Kidman, Shannon Moore, Tajiri, and Akio. But don't worry. He didn't get in the actual match, and you better you know him better as Jimmy Wang Yang. Nunzio, Ultimo Dragon, Jamie Noble, Funaki, and Rey Mysterio all in this match. Why this match was not a showcase for Ultimo Dragon, I'll never understand. Apparently, he didn't either because he left the company right after this. This was a lot of talented guys. No one got to shine except for Chavo Classic. Kidman almost killed himself doing a springboard shooting star press outside the ring. Somehow this match got two and a half stars. Yeah, this match was definitely just thrown together garbage. Could you imagine how good this match would have been in WCW a few years prior where they actually valued the Cruiserweight Championship? 
Th- this match should have been Ultimo Dragon, Chavo, and Ray. Yeah. Dragon would be gone from the WWE a month later and headed back to Japan where he could be properly utilized because Vince didn't give two shits about the cruiserweight. Mm-mm. This match lasted a grand total of 10 minutes and 28 seconds. 10 wrestlers, 10 minutes. That was a gauntlet match. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> this match is dumb. There's no way Kidman weighs less than 205 pounds here. Jesus. Mm-hmm. How did they ever put the world title on that ass hat? He couldn't even win a cruiserweight match at WrestleMania 20. You, you need to let it go. Rey Mysterio is a terrible wrestler. You just need to let it go, Timmy. Dominic's right. He's wow. a terrible father and a terrible wrestler. Wow. You don't even know about the first one. You just said it. Dominic told me. Also, Tells I would me every like- week. That's weird. I would like to point out that Ultimo Dragon was eliminated by Jamie Noble in jean shorts. In Too bad Nidia wasn't there. It, it, I mean, Dragon was in and out in like a minute and eight seconds. Jamie Noble has the best accent ever in wrestling. Oh, it's great. But should he have beaten Ultimo Dragon? No. Match seven. Who? The match that will forever live in infamy. Goldberg beats Brock Lesnar in 1342. With special guest referee Stone Cold Steve Austin, Goldberg had let his contract expire. Lesnar was headed out to play in the NFL, and this match was the <laughs> shits. Incorrect. He was out to try out for the NFL. He made the Vikings for their practice preseason. Squad. He got so he cut. Made, yeah, he made the practice squad and then got cut in the preseason. He still made the team. That's not making the team. That's- that is making the team. Making yourself look like a jackass. Well, I think he did okay for himself in the long run. And he could twist your head off for calling him a jackass. So anyway, this match was sure. I'm sure. Yeah. If you see Brock, come on, Brock, come on over here. I'll sue the shit out of you. That chick sued Peyton Manning. Call me back when you're 78. To be fair, even 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 if this match was good, the crowd had already made up their minds and just shit on this from start to finish. Correct. They knew they were both leaving. However, the two stunners at the end blew the roof off the joint. This match got one and a quarter stars, meaning it's five and a quarter stars better than Hogan versus Andre at Mania 3. Dud. Yeah, this was bad. They didn't even, it, it, you know, you said the match was 1342. I don't yeah, think they locked the, up. The match I don't think they locked like, up until about nine minutes in. Yeah. Yes, it was terrible. embarrassing. With the news breaking earlier in the week that both Goldberg and Lesnar were leaving the WWE, I loved seeing the crowd shit all over this match. Even Austin out there just, I mean, couldn't do anything. The Austin's crowd like, cared about Austin, and it was he's looking it was around like, come on, shit. do something. Yeah. What could have been one hell of a hard-hitting, fun match turned into an absolute shit show, and it was obvious these guys wanted to be nowhere near Madison Square Garden because they knew they were going to get shit all over. What did surprise me, though, was with Lesnar being the homegrown talent, I'm surprised he didn't go over. Yeah. What, was the, point of putting, what was the point of putting Goldberg over here? I'm surprised well, it wasn't a double countout. Even Bruce on his show said they kind of knew Lesnar would eventually be back. So why, why not put him over there? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I don't understand. Although Goldberg eventually came back 30 years later. And by now the way, his, 
his contract just expired with WWE. Thank Christ. If I if he goes to AEW, I'm gonna laugh my ass off. Well, Jordan Grace saw him in the in the airport in Atlanta, and she said she's gonna try to talk him into going to Impact. So, ooh, <laughs> that'll happen. This match is what could have been at that time. Right. Had, had these guys both not been leaving the promotion. It did happen 27 years later or whatever it is. 2013. Whatever. No. 20, no. 2017? 20, no, I think it was even later than that. It was the year Goldberg came back for the video game. I don't remember. I think, what it, was, I think it was 19. Maybe, <laughs> maybe 18. Anyway, it was 14 years later at very least. It is nice that they did sing Vince's favorite song, though, the Na 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 song. Yeah. But I think Goldberg left his nicotine patch on his rib cage. I don't know what was going on there. Was, I don't know if that was a nicotine patch or a legit bandage. I couldn't tell. I think it was a legit bandage, but it looked like a nicotine patch. And there literally couldn't be less action in that match because they didn't even hook up till four or five minutes in. <sighs> Yeah, they did it right the first time they faced each other, where it was like a one-minute match, and it was just like three Goldberg Spears of Jack Hammer call it a day. Yeah. That's what it should have been. Most action in this match was when I thought they were going to kiss when they went nose to nose because they looked deep into each other's eyes. There you go, Brock and Goldberg were 2016. That's what I said. Sure was. And the crowd was really into this in all of the wrong ways. Yeah. <laughs> But Austin stunning both of them out of the WWE was the only logical ending to this match. I don't know how he gave it any stars. Dave Meltzer, suck my Johnson. <laughs> that was weirdly. Ahmed Johnson. You know what they should have had to make this match really good? They should have had former WCW World Heavyweight Champion and Florida State Seminole legend Ron Simmons just come out and beat the shit out of both of them. He was busy. He'd be well, he was match busy. later. He was going to come out in this next match because match eight. <laughs> we have another. Should've came out early. We have another four corners tag match, this time for the SmackDown tag titles, as Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati also retain as they beat the APA, the Bashams, and the world's greatest tag team. And for some reason, they were calling themselves the, the self professed greatest tag team. Why? Just say greatest tag team. Someone else is going to say that about them because they were healed. Ooh. The champions are three and one so far in this show, and the tag matches had a combined sixteen people, and both teams won or retained the title. All but one have defended with multiple people or teams to lose to. This is dumb. Bradshaw was uh, he was laying his shit in this match like he always does. The world's greatest tag team really should have gotten a better run. Too cool was not very cool anymore. For some reason, they got the win anyway, and no one remembers the Bashams. Star in a quarter. My God, how far had tag team wrestling fallen by this time? Two title matches and two thrown together four ways that made zero sense. Former WCW World Heavyweight Champion and Florida State Seminole legend Ron Simmons and Bradshaw should have won these titles by just murdering everybody. Dave, did you read my notes? No I why. said, hey, look, it's Florida State legend and former WCW world champion Ron Simmons in this match. You forgot Seminole. Damn! My bad. 
But I really thought Bradshaw was JBL at this point because uh, he won the title like two months later or the next yeah. month. Yeah. Like I thought it was weird. Like he's still, Oh, that was a quick transition. Yeah. Very. He turned bad and won the title immediately. That literally could have been a pre-show match. Though. That was oh, fucking was terrible. Terrible. Well, do you remember they, they wanted, they were trying to find something new for Bradshaw and Eddie took it upon himself to get Eddie or uh, JBL over. Good for him. Match nine, after the Evolution and Rock and Sock match, this show seemed to have lost most of its energy, and it started to reappear during this match as Victoria beats Molly Holly to retain the women's title, meaning Molly Holly now has to have her head shaved. Both of these women, but especially Victoria, are criminally underrated. It looked like these two were having a fight, which is rare today. And this match should have gone longer than 4.53. Holly goes for the Widow's Peak. Victoria reverses it into a backslide for the win. How about that? One star. I probably would have given it to. Nice Bush reference by King. Wondering if Molly Holly has ever shaved down there. He saw her. Doubtful. Doubtful. I wonder how much money it took for WWE to convince Molly Holly to shave her head. Yeah, to her credit, I think she was looking for a haircut. I remember, I remember this angle. To her credit, she ran with it. Yeah. It has it's definitely refreshing to see how far women's wrestling's come since 04. Because I agree, but this, this is definitely better than a Playboy match. This is better than most matches now. Yeah. Victoria looks young here. Like, oof. I mean, we we just saw that house show match. Yeah. Yikes. But, Dave, this match is a lot closer to what we see now than that Playboy match. I mean, I mean, wrestling's come a long way, but this was a good match. God, imagine, imagine them two at this age now. I bet they could still go. Probably. Probably. They probably could tonight. Well... Now the fun begins. Match 10, Eddie Guerrero defends the undisputed title against Kurt Angle and retains in 2132 after Eddie's boot slips off during the ankle lock and Eddie wins with the small package. This match is where I take umbrage with Meltzer's rating system. Again, every time. I don't know what this match was missing. Angle is incredibly intense. He's hard-hitting the entire match. He's got the killer instinct. Eddie is keeping up on the mat game. There was storytelling. Eddie's being Eddie, but it only got four stars. Why was it docked? Because they got into the ropes, and this is legit, legit write-up. This is why it was not five stars. Because they got into the ropes during the small package. To my response is, as if that wasn't supposed to happen, Eddie clearly wrapped his feet around the ropes. For leverage in the pin. That's kind of his gimmick. Yep. You moron. Again, WWE bias comes in for Meltzer. No five-star matches between 1997 and 2011. First one was Bad Blood, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. The next one was CM Punk and Cena and Money in the Bank. Unfortunately, this is not the last time on this show his bias is going to show up. And there's only one match. Actually, there's two matches left. Yeah, this was by far the best run in Guerrero's career. He was on fire. 
Oh, yeah. I just wish his title reign would have lasted a little longer. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone as good in the ring as Eddie was here. No, he was. He was holy shit, he was good. This was WrestleMania 20, and before the match, Michael Cole said that this is the WWF Championship match, and that belt had been successfully defended five times at WrestleMania. So I ask you guys, before WrestleMania 20, whom and when were the WWF Championships successfully defended? By whom and when? Hogan at two. Hogan at three. Yep. Savage won the title at eight. Brett lost it at nine. Thank you. Did Diesel retain at 10? Yoko retained at 10 over Lex Luger. Oh, that's right. Diesel retained at 11, 11. over Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And there was one other. Undertaker over Sid. Nope. Sid was the champion. Undertaker won the belt. Wow. WrestleMania 2000, Triple H over the big show, Rock and Mick Foley. Mick Foley. WrestleMania 16. Wow. How about that? Get ready for more trivia next or this Friday night. March 31st. March this Friday night, March 31st. The day after my birthday. Beat the step ins. You can beat, beat the, the piss out of the step ins. I have yeah. lots of shit to give away. Indeed. But I thought the ending with Guerrero losing his boot and then putting his feet on the rope to secure the pinfall was classic. Classic ending. That man. was a perfect way for this match to end. And for Angle to save face and for Guerrero to get the victory and continue his title reign. Well, according to Meltzer, they got tangled in the ropes and they shouldn't have. Whatever. Yeah, no, it it all made sense. Fucking Guerrero was cheating all over the place here. Yeah, of course he was. Interesting that during the buildup, Kurt is talking about Eddie being a drug addict. Hmm. But the fact that the haircut was still going on while they're doing their entrances, ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, that, that was a little nuts. Kurt's eyes, I like. I was like, man, his eyes are super glassy. You were like. <laughs> That's why I wear glasses. What? But Eddie, Eddie's get up here with the flames on his boots and the tight. That, that's a super cool looking look. I like Wait, it. Wait, you wear glasses because your fingers are crazy? Yes. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Ew. <laughs> and s- same, Dave. Classic Eddie ending. I, Again, I, don't, I don't know what this match was missing to get five. It was great. This match was great. There was no Japanese wrestler in it. Oh. Match 11. Speaking of no Japanese wrestlers, The Undertaker returns to Paul Bear to beat Kane in 745. This wasn't the best match these two would ever have, but the atmosphere of the crowd more than made up for it. Undertaker is fighting like a man insane, hits a tombstone for the win. He goes to 11 and 0 at WrestleMania, star in a quarter. So, just so everyone's clear again, this match was comparable to uh, the eight man tag match that Scotty Tuhati and Rikishi won. Fucking terrible. I'll never understand how Meltzer rates his matches. Shit makes no sense. I don't think he, he understands how he rates his match. <laughs> no. So fucking stupid. 
I was so pumped for the return of the dead man gimmick here. So pumped. And who would have thought after watching this, we'd get another 16 years out of the undertaker before he'd officially retire. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Taker was getting ready to turn 39 years old here. And who would have thought some of his greatest matches would have come after the age of 40. True. I don't care what anyone says. Undertaker's top five of all time. The match was quick, but it got the job done. Dead man's back. It would depend on what the what we're rating on for top five. Hogan career, Flair, obviously. Career. Career, yeah. absolutely. He's top five. No question. He took a gimmick that could have been horrible. And made it last 30 years. Made it last 30 years, and he got over when, I mean, Ole Anderson said this guy's never going to draw a dime. Because Ole Anderson's an idiot. He didn't. He drew a lot of dimes. Ole Anderson yeah. was so he good at, at, at judging talent that they sold Georgia Championship Wrestling from under him. Yeah. Good job, he, you. He drew a whole shitload of dimes. In 1990, when Vince was getting into the real stupid gimmicks, this could have been terrible. Yeah. The fact that Mark Calloway became The Undertaker and made it... I mean, by 91, he was over as fuck. Yeah, he beat Hogan. Or, yeah, and, but I guess it'd be 92. When he turned face, he was over as shit. Mm-hmm. Well, you said he was 39. He looks to be in phenomenal shape here. He was huge muscular-wise yes. in this match. He was big. Yeah, the, from, here, from, from here, WrestleMania 20, up until WrestleMania 24, when I saw him at WrestleMania 24, he was absolutely jacked to the gills. Yeah. Well, in 25, he fought Sean. That's where... 25 and 26 were his greatest matches. Yeah. Right? We, we still had Sean and Triple H to go. And yeah, yeah. after the age of 39. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate the return of the original Undertaker, but I much preferred Biker Taker. I liked him coming back as the dead man because we had had dead man and the different variations. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why he's so great is because he was able to kind of get with the times and make changes. And then Biker Taker was awesome. But it was cool. It had run its course, and I was ready for the dead man. But by, you know, another couple years after this, I was ready for Biker Taker to come back. But it's even better. Like, in retirement, he's like, guess what? I'm just going to give you real Mark Calloway. So, yeah. Well, And, it, and it's still, he's doing one-man shows still. I think the reason why this worked is because he was the, the old Undertaker in name only. He still fought like the Biker Undertaker. That didn't change. Except, I mean, they still had the urn and he would sit up, but other than I, that, I just meant fighting style. Yeah. The yeah, fighting style was barely in ring. He's still biker taker. But I feel like every match on this card took too long, except for the evolution rock and sock match. That was it's, like the third longest match. It's the like card. they're stretching. Uh, I, one more thing on this match before we move on to the main event. Paul Bearer opening this with Oh yes. Was great. Perfect. I didn't. I, that's all I needed. I didn't need him to walk his six hundred pound ass down to the ring. <laughs> Crowd popped just for Paul Bear. That's how ready they were for the man to come back. They're like, Jesus, he's huge. But Undertaker's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Bear looked like he had eaten both Kane and the Undertaker before the match. Yeah, he was huge. 
he uh, Paul Bear ringside too talking shit was killing me too. I don't know if you guys could hear him, but he was just mm-hmm. like, "You deserve it all, you bastard. <laughs> You're no son of mine." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Match twelve, main event time. Chris Benoit wow. wins the world title after making Triple H tap out with HBK outside the ring in twenty four forty seven. I understand that Benoit is involved, and I hate the fact we have to make this disclaimer every time we have we talk about Benoit. As if it's not just common knowledge now. Benoit's a terrible human being and deserves to be burning in hell. However, my God, this is one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. Usually triple threat matches suck because you have to find reasons to keep making the match one-on-one. But this whole match, everything about this match made sense. There wasn't one weird spot in it. The crowd was firmly behind Benoit, and after HBK bleeds everywhere, and Triple H gets some color as well, we had some great false finishes, including Benoit getting the sharpshooter on Triple H, only to have his head kicked off by HBK. After some more struggling, Benoit locks in the crossface for the tap out. Triple H, the supposed king of the shovel, puts over Benoit here in a tap out. Four and three quarter stars. Again, what was missing here to not get five stars? There's not even a critique of this match in the write up. He didn't have one negative thing to say about it. Four and three quarter stars. This man's an idiot. Japan. Two two matches on this card, definitely five-star worthy. Ben, ben Wallet was huge in yep. Japan as a Pegasus kid. But it doesn't matter. It, it, nope. But like TJ, I am not a fan of triple threat matches. Not a fan. I was a but fan of this one, one. But this one was awesome. Much better than the one we got a month later at Backlash between the same three guys. With yeah. Michaels then getting pinned by Benoit. They should but, have been. This should have been the last one ever. Just don't. We can't beat it. Don't no, even do it again. You can't top it. Just let it go. <laughs> it should have been the next one. If you're going to have a triple threat match here, it should have been Triple H tapped Michaels versus Benoit at the next show. Yes. My biggest issue, like what TJ said, is usually during a triple threat match, somebody is outside of the ring for way too long, and it makes no sense. Oh, he got hit tossed outside the ring. Let's sit there for nine minutes. Dumb. As, as this you see match did not have that. As you see him right. doing this over the apron. Yeah, this match did not have that. This match was great. But how pissed off do you think, think that New York crowd would have been if Michaels had won or Triple H retained? It wasn't noticeable during the match, but at the end of the match, when they were really building into the finish, woo, they were booing all over HBK and Triple H. But I still would have preferred, I like this match, and it's if you haven't seen WrestleMania 20, you need to go and watch it just for this match. And Eddie and Kurt. But I like seeing one-on-one matches. for And the Playboy match. Stop it. Yes, the Playboy match was really good. It, it literally <laughs> was, because, woo, me, he. There's a b-hole in there. Go out of your way and watch this match. It is that damn good. I'm pretty sure this is with this was the peak for all three of these guys. Triple H is right there. Sean, even though he's a little bit older, has learned the storytelling aspect. Yeah, and agree. I'm betting he had a lot of input about the psychology of this. And Benoit, th- this was where he crescendoed. I mean. Benoit was one of the best in the ring. Yeah, I mean, you have to, piece of shit at, human at yeah. the time, but 
he was amazing. He was and, incredible. And Benoit's not even really my cup of tea as far as wrestling is, but this match was amazing. It was about what was the time frame? It was around was it 2001 when he had his neck injury? 2000, 2002 yeah. mm-hmm. when he had his neck injury and was gone for a year. Yeah. When he had the triple threat match with it was him and Edge, I think, versus Kurt Angle or something like that. I knew Benoit had it. Did you talk about WrestleMania 2000? No, it was King of the Ring 2001 or two. I remember one he had. I think it was him, Angle, and Jericho. Okay, it was him, Angle, and Jericho. Yeah, I said Edge, but it was Jericho. That match was also incredible. And that's when I knew Benoit was for real. And they could really do something with him. You want to know what the worst part of this match was? Triple H's white boots. That looked fucking goofy. I didn't why why is Triple H wearing white boots? I didn't hate it. I know. It looked terrible. But he was a heel. It was almost as bad as when Sean won the title in Dookie Brown tights. <laughs> Second <laughs> you know, worst. You know why he wore Dookie Brown tights? Because he thought he might shit himself? No. They lost his luggage, and they those were made for him like that day right there. Mm-hmm. Was what, that was all they had to terrible. make with. Triple H here, a little pudgier than I remember him being. He he as he got older, he cut down. He started working out with Vince. You know who else is a little pudgier here than you remember? All, All three of us. Of us. <laughs> if you enjoyed this week's episode, please let us know. Give us that five star review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter at FF Podcast, on Instagram at Filter Free Podcast. Follow the network at Filter Free Net. Tell that dummy Dave Meltzer we deserve five stars. As for us. You can find us all on social media platforms at Timmy C. At Timmy C. 1979. Dollar Bill Dave. At Dave in the QC. But not much I am at, no, not, not for, for the moment. And I am at T. Stevens 91. Next week, we're going to cover WCW Thunder from April 15th, 1999. 16th. Larry Brown. Huh? 16th. April 16th. No, it's April 15th, 99. I wrote the date wrong. Oh. oh. Larry Brown hits 900 wins, Clinton's in contempt, Australia makes an outrageous insurance claim, and so much more. Until then, this has been the Filter Free Podcast, and so long for now. Dad joke of the week. How do you get a farmer girl to date you? Put dip in your mouth? This is definitely going to be a protein joke. A tractor. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha